0: How many times have you heard people talk about this year, 2020, as being unprecedented times? How it's harder, more difficult, how suffering in the world has been highlighted or exacerbated by the global pandemic. It's all I seem to hear about at the minute. And, and there's thousands of memes, it seems, about how we should just skip this year. How my hopes and dreams for 2020 uh, have just been chucked out and uh, have just been destroyed by this pandemic. 2020 has been a really hard year for many people, and it has highlighted the suffering and vulnerability and pain in our world. We're in the second week in our series, P-R-A-Y, and we're looking at the R, which stands for Rejoice. Rejoicing reminds us that following Jesus isn't supposed to be some sombre, guilt-trip, shame-fest – but it's about having the hope of fullness of life and the joy of being loved unconditionally by God. Rejoicing is a really important part of our relationship with God. It's how we worship him and live according to the hope he has given us. So that's why we're focusing on it. As we learn together again and revisit this vital topic of prayer, rejoicing is a central part of that. But how can we rejoice in a year like 2020? C.S. Lewis, the writer of the beloved Narnia books, spoke of his feelings following his wife's death that God led us up the garden path. Time after time, when God seemed most gracious, he was really preparing the next torture. David, the writer of many of the Psalms in the Bible, asked God in a worship song, Are you indifferent? God, above it all, leaning back on the cushions of your people's praise. Where's the pain in your life? Is it from your past? Is it around someone that you love? Maybe they're going through something really hard. Is it in your fears about the future? And what does it mean to rejoice in this? I have plenty of times just skipped the whole rejoicing part. I've sung the words in worship, but I've not really meant what I've been singing. I've plastered a smile on and rejoiced or talked really enthusiastically about my faith. But actually, I've been quietly doing my best to ignore or avoid God when I'm alone and when it actually comes to interacting or being joyful in him. And I've even, at those points in time, resented the idea of someone asking me to rejoice because it's hard enough to pray or to have faith when we're in pain. This idea of rejoicing in pain is not just for people who have a bit of a tendency to sadness or angsty students or people with mental health issues. So if you're someone who doesn't have much to grieve or someone who doesn't like to think about the darker parts of life, this is still for you. All of us have a duty to one another to work out how to walk alongside one another in suffering and in mourning. To mourn with those who mourn without glib or trite answers or reassurance when we actually don't know when it's going to be okay. And all of us will have trouble. That's one of the less popular promises of Jesus. In John 16, 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Plenty of it. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12, in one of the letters to the early church, Peter says, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange is happening to you. Part of following Jesus and part of being alive is to experience suffering. All of us will experience loss. All of us will experience fear or anxiety. All of us will experience sadness or anger. All of us will experience pain, just some more than others and we want to carry one another in unity and compassion and be equipped for the hard times that may be ahead. Pain is splattered all over the Bible because the purpose of following God, in case you haven't realised yet, it's not to avoid conflict, pain or drama. The people of God have always had drama and pain and grief and got it wrong and they've had pain inflicted upon them inexplicably. Let's look at the example of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet to Israel and the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament of the Bible is three short chapters and it's basically a conversation between God and the prophet Habakkuk and it's about the suffering of God's people at the hand of their invaders and oppressors, the Babylonians, who are like this massive, massive empire. And Habakkuk is like, how can you just let this happen to your people, God? How, how come this is happening to us? And God even says that he is using the Babylonians to punish the Israelites. There's a lot of bold questions around the problem of evil that we could um, wrestle with, all the philosophy around, and they're all raised in this little book and by this little-known prophet. Um, But we're just going to focus on the ending for today. So why don't you turn to chapter 3, verse 16 onwards with me. It's right at the end. So Habakkuk is reflecting on the awesome might and power of God, his power over all of creation and all of the nations. And he's reflecting on um, the awful oppression and the fear of the Lord that he has um, and the oppression of the Babylonians on the Israelites. So we're starting at verse 16. Habakkuk says, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. That's the Babylonians. Though the fig tree does not bud, And there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, He enables me to tread on the heights verse 17 onwards describes a situation where all hopes are dashed. There is nothing but disappointment and emptiness. And for Israelites and for Habakkuk, these verses are a cry out of destitution and desperation. They don't have food. They don't have money. They don't have the produce and they don't have, they can't rely on the world around them to sustain their nation and their community. But It represents a bigger issue as well. All of these things, all of this produce and and what sustains the community is symbolic of their spiritual and emotional state. It's like the numbness of depression and the hopelessness of despair over a whole nation. It's like Habakkuk is saying, though I have nothing though I have reaped nothing but disappointment. I have no one and nothing I can rely on. Nothing has turned out the way that I thought it would. I'm still waiting for the breakthrough, though I have no one and nothing to my name. This experience isn't uncommon amongst other people in the Bible and in our world today. More than half of all the Psalms in the Bible are laments to God. The Bible wrestles with pain head on. David rants and raves at God in the Psalms and he demands answers from God. He says, how long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? In Psalm 89, Job cries out to God and says, God, you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. Elijah, having called down fire and performed nation shifting miracles on Mount Carmel, After is so down and so exhausted from the whole thing that he sits beneath a tree and he asks God to take his life. The books of Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, the letters of Paul all deal with suffering directly. Lament is such an underrated part of our relationship with God and lament is on the road to rejoicing in pain. Sometimes the only way through difficulty and through pain is to go through it. And so on the way, Jesus says, what's troubling you? And he invites us to talk it out honestly. God can take it. Rejoicing is not about faking a smile or plastering on a good mood. God does not ask us to fake it or be deliriously happy that we are suffering. God welcomes our lament as much as he welcomes our joy. Jesus, God himself, models lament perfectly, in a way that we can never live up to, but we can learn from and gain freedom in. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knows that his death is imminent and that he's going to die by crucifixion, one of the most brutal forms of execution. And he knows that his friends are going to desert him. Can you imagine the level of pressure and fear and despair and loss swirling around the, the mind of this fully God, yet fully human man? Jesus goes to pray again and to be with his heavenly father. And he is so distressed that he literally sweats drops of blood. He goes back to his friends, his followers, and he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Please pray for me. Please keep watch for me. My sadness is so great. It's crushing the life out of me. We see that in both Matthew 26 and in Mark 14. God himself says that my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. God gets your pain. He is well acquainted with the depths of sorrow that you might be experiencing or your family or your friends might be experiencing right now. Jesus is lamenting and what's more, he shares it with his friends because it's a, it's a valid expression of worship and communication with God and it's something that we can be vulnerable in and share it with our closest friends. Jesus doesn't say in the Sermon on the Mount, tolerated are those who mourn. He doesn't say avoided are those who mourn, punished are those who mourn. He says, blessed are those who mourn. God blesses our morning by comforting us gradually and sometimes imperceptibly. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, having shared this crushing sadness and pain that he's experiencing, Jesus goes, he falls on the ground and he says, Abba, Father. It's in this place of absolute torment that we hear one of the most intimate moments between Jesus and his Father God in heaven. And it's in our loneliest pain, like When, like Habakkuk, we have nothing left, no one to turn to, when we're overwhelmed to the point of death, that's where we can grasp with new depth the closeness and comfort of God and of our Heavenly Father. P.T. Forsyth said that the complete answer to prayer is the answerer. We may not sense that God is there in our lament. He may seem distant. And if this is something that you're struggling with, thousands of other people, including myself, have experienced this. A really good starting point is to look at some of these laments, but also to read God on Mute by Pete Gregg. I would massively um, recommend it because he talks about how God may be silent, but he never leaves us. But we're talking about rejoicing today and lamenting isn't rejoicing, even if lament is on the road to rejoicing. And it may be for some of us that as we lament, God comforts us and we sense that, we sense his presence. And so we can take joy from that and we can be joyful in knowing that he's with us. But so often we're not aware of God's presence. And in fact, that silence of God can actually make our suffering seem so much worse. If we continue looking at Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, if we look in uh, Mark chapter 14, Abba, Father, Jesus says, everything is possible for you, Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Although Jesus's purpose is to die and to suffer in order to conquer death, Jesus still asks his father. And we'll be hearing more about asking in faith in next week's talk. Jesus's prayer isn't answered. The cup of suffering, the cup of his fate, his death isn't taken from him. But Jesus goes on to say, yet, not what I will, but what you will. Yet is the turning point from lament, from mourning into a new stance of recognising who God is. Yet pivots us into rejoicing. And Habakkuk follows this same pattern So if you go back to your Bibles, go back to chapter three to verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." Jesus is not exactly rejoicing in Gethsemane in the way that we would understand joy being like happiness. But rejoicing is sometimes the choice to carry on living, the choice to keep going because you know that God has asked you to, even when he's gone silent on you. Rejoicing can be having the faith to say, God, you are in charge and I want what you want because I trust you. Not my will, but yours. Sometimes the tiniest, most unrecognisable scrap of joy we can have is just having the faith to speak to God. Time and time again throughout history, people have found that even when they felt abandoned by God, he has strengthened them and his joy has persisted in them. In the 1880s, a man called George Matheson wrote the hymn, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go. And it was on the eve of his sister's wedding. Oh love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. We all have pain, but we all have a yet. When and what is your yet? How can you pivot from lament into rejoicing? When you've lamented, when you've poured out your troubles to God, whether it's the daily struggles around your character or your self-control or hating your job or conflict in a relationship, or whether it's longer-term stuff like your health, um, mourning the loss of a loved one or crushing loneliness, when you've lamented in complete and raw honesty to God, to your Abba Father, there comes a yet, It doesn't matter how big or how small your yet is. Your yet might be that you know uh, that you have um, massive anxiety um, coming left, right and centre. You might have issues in your identity or traumas in your past that haunt you daily. You might be sick. Someone you love might be dying. You might be isolated. You might be fearful to the point of death. You might be weary. You might be getting divorced or scared of getting divorced. You might be having a crisis of faith you might hate yourself, you might be in debt, yet you choose to raise your hand in worship. Yet you choose to say that when I pass through the waters, you, God, will be with me. When I pass through the rivers of suffering, of being overwhelmed to the point of death, those waters will not sweep over me. When I walk through this fire and this trial, I will not be burned like in Isaiah 43. Like Job, your yet might be that though you slay me, God, though it appears that you are punishing me, yet I will hope in you and I will hope in your character and your goodness. Like David, your yet might be that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Yet you are with me, God, your rod and staff, they comfort me like a shepherd and his sheep. Your yet might be like Paul's to say, though outwardly I am wasting away, yet inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. My troubles are achieving for me an eternal glory that outweighs these momentary troubles. Your yet might be to submit to God again as Jesus did, saying, yet not my will, but yours, God. Your yet is where God can start to strengthen you. Like in Habakkuk, where he says that God enables me to walk on the heights. He makes my feet like the deer. God makes you strong enough to put one foot in front of the other, even where the air is thin and we're so exposed. Your yet is where God can give you hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory, even if it's not here yet. What is your yet? We've got a few minutes now and I want us to spend some time thinking about and writing down what our yet is. We start by crying out to God. I don't want us to skip over lament. What is your lament? Why is your soul downcast? Write it down. Write down how it feels. You might be thinking, I don't really have anything to lament. Well, there's plenty to lament in the lives of the people around you and the world beyond your own circumstances. So if you're doing fine, then maybe you want to write a lament on behalf of someone you know, or more broadly about racism or oppression or those being persecuted for their faith, slavery, human trafficking, economic injustice, global pandemics. Pain is everywhere. So there's always something to lament. There's always something to bring to God in honesty. So once we've poured out our complaint to God in trust as our Abba Father, we're going to write down our yet. Yet you are sovereign, Lord. Yet I will praise you. Yet I will rejoice. Yet I will worship. Yet I will keep coming to church. Yet I will keep on going because you are with me, God. You can choose whatever your yet is. It can be the smallest of wins. It can be the most basic thing. You may start writing and not get any further than your lament today. That might take up the whole time, and that's totally okay. Keep hold of that piece of paper. Keep hold of that lament. And when it's time, you can write down your yet. You can choose to rejoice at that point and to celebrate who God is because He does not change. He does not waver in His love for us. So grab a paper and pen or grab your phone, but stay focused. What is your lament? What is your yet? And what's your way of rejoicing in God today, even in pain? Let me pray for us now. God, there is so much pain in our lives and there is so much pain in the world around us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep, in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, though there is nothing left in me or in my life, God. Yet I will rejoice in you, Lord. I will be joyful in God, my saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Strengthen us now, God. Make our feet like the feet of a deer. Enable us to tread on the heights, to put one foot in front of the other to carry on living and to rejoice in the life that you have given us. Amen.